Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Now I can preach it like this, okay? Repent! Or I can tell you, change your mind. Preaching repentance in the area of consciousness of sins is dishonoring the work of Jesus. Repentance means you realize you're guilty, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God. You begin to realize that sin is in you, and you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, and you deny yourself and take up the cross and go after Christ. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Congratulations, Mom and Dad. You are the enemy. This is Wretched Radio. Mom, Dad, what you're about to hear, oh, it's interesting, it's enlightening, but it might also be horrifying, especially if your child, having heard some of the indoctrination lessons being taught in a public school, get confused about their gender or their identity. Get ready, because you are going to be pitted as the bad guy. How do I know? Listening to a presentation from the Heritage Foundation, a symposium, three women whose local schools decided they know better than mom and dad. We're not going to get the parents involved with counseling their children over their sexual confusion. Instead, we're going to paint them as the bad guy. And even if necessary, take their child away from them. This is not hyperbole. This isn't fantasy. This is reality. I would like for you to hear one of the three presentations. The the other one, unfortunately, is too long. The mom had her child taken away because mom wouldn't endorse her gender confusion. The child ultimately ended up committing suicide. Hmm. Mm-mm. And guess who was to blame? That's right, Mom. So please listen to this story, Mom and Dad, and be warned. My name is January Littlejohn, like Jay said, and I am a stay-at-home mom to three incredible children. And I also happen to be a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida. It is no secret that the mental health of adolescents faced a rapid decline during COVID after shutdowns of schools. It was a very confusing time, and our daughter was no exception. During the summer of 2020, our daughter told us that she was confused about her sex, and this was after three of her friends in her in-person friend group at school had also suddenly started identifying as transgender. That's worth noting. It's trendy to be transgender. It's cool. It's hip. You get a lot of attention. One day you're kind of a zero. The next day you're a hero. And a lot of kids are drinking the Kool-Aid because they would like some attention. Once school started, like so many times before, we partnered with the school. And I disclosed to a teacher that our daughter was experiencing distress that we had sought mental health professional counseling for her to help us navigate this situation together, that we were not affirming at home, but we felt like she could, we couldn't stop her from going by a nickname at school. It turns out this teacher was the LGBTQ advocate on campus. Several weeks later, my daughter got into the car and said, Mom, she was 13 at the time, I had a strange meeting today at school. They asked me which restroom I preferred to use. I was shocked. 
So I immediately emailed the school guidance counselor. I demanded to know why my child had a meeting, why I was not informed, why I was not present, invited to this meeting. I was called back with the vice principal and guidance counselor and told my 13-year-old daughter was now protected from a non, with a non-discrimination policy law from me knowing any information that happened at that meeting. Why? Because she would not affirm her daughter's confusion at home. Therefore, here's the premise, parents contribute to the suicidal ideations of confused children. Therefore, we've got to keep those nasty old parents out of this business. Oh, the audacity. To say I was shocked is an understatement. I'm, after many weeks of going back and forth with the district, we finally learned that they had socially transitioned my daughter. They completed a six-page plan behind closed doors with three school officials that consisted of the vice principal, the guidance counselor, and a social worker I had never met. The support plan was called the Transgender Gender Nonconforming Support Plan. And this was a six-page document where they asked questions that would have absolutely impacted my daughter's safety, such as which restroom she preferred to use, which sex she preferred to room with on overnight field trips. And then they did something especially egregious. Before we hear that, as if that isn't already egregious enough, the school takes it upon themselves to shut out the enemy, a.k.a. parents, and then make a plan to help a child facilitate a child's confusion, driving them to taking drugs, even having procedures done. Shh, don't tell the enemy. <sighs> You've heard of some of the stories about schools that seem to be having a little bit of an overreach. I don't know that I've ever heard anything more stepping over the boundary of where your responsibility begins and ends as an educator, thank you. We're grateful that you educate kids. But no thank you. We'll raise them. They asked her which name she preferred the school to use when speaking to her parents. Mm. They were using a different name with teachers and students mm. and her birth name with parents to effectively deceive us that this social transition had ever even taken place. Now, mind you, I was the one that contacted the school. There was no reason for them to cut me out of this conversation. They took away my ability to protect my daughter when they did this. When parents are excluded from decisions affecting their child's health and well-being at school, it sends the message to their children that their, their parents' input and authority are no longer valued or needed. And frankly, that the child needs to be protected from their parents instead of by their parents. This created a huge wedge between our daughter and us. My daughter was celebrated at school with her new trans identity, whereas two weeks prior, she was not celebrated or being told she was brave as a girl. What can we do about that, mom and dad? Probably get in front of it. Who would have thunk that we'd have to be having these conversations? It's one thing for moms and dads to ponder. When do we talk about those birds and bees? Now, you need to talk about gender confusion and get in front of it. And even 
hopefully, prepare your child to, if you're confused about stuff, you don't want to be talking about that at school. Or the next thing you know, son, you're going to be wearing a dress. A narrative I continually hear is that children should have a right to privacy from parents and that they need to be protected from unsupportive parents. The definition of the word supportive is very subjective. Who decides what is supportive? The school? What qualifies them? (laughs) Parental rights under the Constitution and Florida law are not contingent on the word supportive. The question we should be asking is why are they so intent to aid children in keeping secrets from their parents who know and love them the most? It's called an agenda. Discussing gender identity issues with students without parents can lead to significant decisions that will impact their emotional, physical, and mental well-being. Schools are grossly unqualified to be making these mental health decisions without parental involvement. (laughs) Not just mental health. How's about worldview, religion? The one lady whose child was taken away was allowed to visit her daughter one hour a week, and she was told, when you visit your own child who is still a minor, you cannot talk about these issues, and you can't talk about, here it is, God. Ah, now we're getting warmer. Just last month, a 12-year-old girl in Clay County tried to hang herself in the school bathroom. Thankfully, she survived. But disturbingly, what has come to light and has been well-reported is that the school guidance counselor had been meeting with her in private for months regarding her gender identity. The parents were never informed. They had no idea these meetings were taking place or that their daughter was experiencing distress of any kind. How would they? They weren't informed because they're the bad guy. This is heartbreaking on, well, virtually every level, not the least of which is all of the good Christian teachers that are in public schools trying hard to just teach reading, writing, and arithmetic skills that are prerequisite for getting along in the 21st century society. But I fear at this point, wow, we better encourage our kids to not be sharing things with teachers. I know there's good ones out there. And you're getting besmirched by this, which is not fair. But what we're hearing is not uncommon. This is a practice that is being employed around the nation. And mom and dad, you should know about it. You are the enemy. We are the progressive educators who know what your child needs. The audacity, yeah. Terrifying? Absolutely. Is it necessary, mom and dad, to get in front of this locomotive of an ideology that is against God? I'm afraid so. This is Wretched Radio. Thank you for joining us for Wretched Radio today. When is the last time you took a gander around the Wretched Store? If it's been a while, I'd like to urge you to do so today. The Wretched Store is home to tons of great resources, books, booklets, videos, MP3s, and curriculum. And I'll go out on the limb and say that everybody will be able to find something they'll love and learn from in the Wretched Store. So take some time and peruse all we have available. Wretched.org store. All of the resources that you'll 
Amplified are only made possible by the support of our gospel partners. We can't produce the content that we're able to produce without that ongoing support. So while you're visiting the Wretched store at Wretched.org, would you also consider taking a look at our donate page by clicking the Give link at the top of the page? There you'll find all the information you will ever need regarding becoming a gospel partner. Wretched.org slash store, Wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Numbers. Who doesn't love numbers? Okay, I don't, and maybe you don't either, but you are going to be thrilled at these statistics from preborn.org. Since 2007, there have been over 500,000 pregnancy tests. Whoa. 42,000 women have professed faith in Jesus Christ, and over 123,000 babies' lives were saved. You can have a direct impact on the battle for life in a country that is increasingly opposed to life. While the government is busy trying to take the lives of more children, you and I can be saving babies and saving mommies because preborn. They provide free ultrasounds, and they also preach the gospel. Babies get saved, and so do mommies. Would you please help grow these numbers by supporting Preborn? You can do that at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. So what do you get when you mix a group of Gen Z college students and a group of biblical experts together with 2,000-year-old questions? Well, of course, you get Road Trip to Truth. John Favares has hit the road on a quest to find answers to life's biggest questions like environmentalism, social Darwinism, the deadly impact of pornography, and the dangers of agnosticism. Those are just a few of the topics covered in Season 2 of Road Trip to Truth, which is available now at roadtriptotruth.org. Season 1 is also available, along with study guides for each season and a homeschool curriculum. Road Trip to Truth helps your children better understand questions from the world from a biblical perspective, and it will help you learn how to witness more effectively to this generation. So grab your copy of Season 1 and 2 of Road Trip to Truth at roadtriptotruth.org. Books of the Bible The book of James is much like Proverbs for the New Testament, employing a concise and memorable style with a simple yet profound message. Christians should think and act like Christians. It is very easy to understand, but exceptionally difficult to obey. This ought to lead us to repentance and a fresh reliance upon the grace of God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. You are blessed today. This is, why did I have to use that accent? This is Wretched Radio. You don't know it, but you are being spared <laughs> some pain. Brand new song mm, brings a, a tear to my eye and a burning to my bosom. A new worship song from Elevation Worship that's so, what's the word I'm looking for? Repetitious. Not going to punish you with that because, frankly, I think we've been punished enough for one day hearing the testimony of a mom whose local school thought they know better than she does, and she's not alone. That was absolutely brutal to listen to, Jimmy. The local school, and here's the kicker on this deal. You would probably visit these schools and go, nice. Even rural schools, oh, that stuff hasn't made it out here. Yes. Yes, it has. Yeah. It's everywhere. 
And there are good Christians that are teaching our kids, but there are many who believe they know better than we do. And they will block you out as the enemy in order to indoctrinate your child. So we've had enough of a beating today. You've been spared the warm, fuzzy, repetitious, sentimental, romantic glop that we currently call worship music. By the way, Jimmy, as long as you're on the horn, what was the name that you decided was the correct title for the Grand Poobah of Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy? Oh, um, well, Google decided that it was the Ecumenical Patriarch of Constantinople. Yeah, Patriarch is the Mm. word. I think that's the one that I was groping for, too. Patriarch, Uh which... Probably can't even use in the West. You see, that's why we don't see Western Orthodoxy, because the word patriarchy is a taboo word. (laughs) Was also reading Patriarch Bartholomew of the 200 million Eastern Orthodox member church. 200 million. This is a big branch of, well, we'll call it small C Christianity. They don't believe in grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. It is nevertheless a works-based system. And that is why if you ever meet somebody who is Eastern Orthodox, you do well to help them understand the gospel. And quite honestly, it does not need to be a battle. If you get a chance, go to the YouTube machine and look up the video titled Who's Right? Protestant or Catholic, Catholic or Protestant. I had a conversation with a young man at Kennesaw State University was Roman Catholic. And we probably spent 30, 40 minutes together where I had the joy of saying, friend, listen, listen, free, grace, unmerited favor, lavished upon you. Why do you want to walk around with a yoke on your shoulder trying to work your way into paradise? It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it wasn't confrontational. Doesn't have to be a snarky fight. It can actually be an enthusiastic joy. We've got, oh, what is the word? Ah, not patriarch. Uh, good news. It's good news. Not I want to punch you in the nose news. It's good news. Here's what the Eastern Orthodox Patriarch said. He's condemning the Russian invasion. Well, that's good to hear because there is not a whole lot of love lost between the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Writing this week for Religion News Services, Mr. Thames, T-H-A-M-E-S, former U.S. Special Envoy for Religious Minorities, Wrote this for Religion News Service. If Russia's military campaign is successful, Moscow would likely not countenance an independent Orthodox Church of Ukraine, possibly forcing it back into the family of the Russian Orthodox Church. Russia's regressive treatment of Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, and proselytizing groups would likely be forced on the entire country. That ain't good news because there are a lot of good brothers and sisters doing a lot of good biblical ministry in Ukraine. There was freedom there. We know the Masters Academy International is there. We know the Tomorrow Clubs are there. Let's hope that whatever this is that's brewing behind the scenes regarding the Russian Orthodox Church, because the patriarch of the 
Russian Orthodox Church, if that's his title. Very chummy with Vladimir Putin. Very, very chummy. Little history for your consideration. This is from... Hold on. This is from Christian Post. There it is. Russian victory would mark end of religious freedom in Ukraine. It's dangerous to believers not affiliated with the Russian Orthodox Church if Russia takes over. Crimea and the Donbass offer examples of how Russia's influence brings religious oppression. Russian-backed separatists in 2014 took control of the Donbass region and established what they call the People's Republic of Donetsk and Luhansk. Now it's being reported adherents of faiths that are not affiliated with the Russian Orthodox Church remain subject to persecution. They can be punished for gathering to worship without permission, and churches are raided without cause. Authorities, sounding like Canada, authorities have banned select Christian literature, including a hymnal and a translation of the Gospel of John. In other words, the Russian Orthodox Church doesn't play in any sort of ecumenical sandbox, even when it is a branch of its own denomination or movement or whatever they call themselves as the Eastern Orthodox Church. Crimea, 2014. That's a region Vladimir wants. Had a similar chilling effect on religious practice. Russian occupation authorities have confiscated and at times demolish properties belonging to the Orthodox Church of Ukraine. Jehovah's Witnesses are repeatedly targeted under vague counter-extremism laws. Crimean Tatar Muslims face legal discrimination, and some individuals have been targeted for imprisonment. In other words, if Vladimir Putin picks up some more land, it is almost certain the Russian Orthodox Church will go flooding in And that has big implications for our brothers and sisters. Have you been praying for them? I have to tell you, last night I was thinking, it happens on occasion, I was actually reading through the comments on YouTube. That's right, we put up one video that allows comments. Because historically, the YouTube environment isn't always very conducive to a higher level of Christian dialogue. So we gave it a go, and I was reading through some of the the things that people put up. People are funny, and they're they they write insightful things. And I was I was just kind of taken by the thought that I like being a Christian. I like being in this family. I like meeting a total stranger in an airport and going to have a meal with them because I totally delight in their company. Even if they're not my particular personality cup of tea, they don't match my Enneagram. Enneagram, whatever. You know what? If it's Enneagram, then they should always have that music playing behind it on their website. (laughs) What did she say? The Enya? You can meet a believer any place and it's sweeter in my opinion than the relationships that we have even with blood relatives who aren't born again these are our brothers and sisters over there would encourage you to pray 
for them. And as long as we're talking about Eastern Orthodoxy, this is kind of a segue. Frio, why start now? Was reading about tithing in preparation. We're, we're preparing to do Wretched Worldview 2 with Dr. Nathan Booznitz, Wretched Worldview 1. We tackled about 20 some subjects with Dr. Owen Strand. We're now going to do part two, and I was going to tackle the subject of tithing. So I wanted to see what has the church historically said about tithing. And I found a professor who had an article titled Tithing in the Anti-Nicene Anti Before the Nicene Period, the Second Century. So this is the 100s, the Didache. People call it the Catechism of the Early Church. It helps us to understand what they were teaching then, how they ran church services. It is not infallible, but it can be beneficial more than a lot of the other additions to the Bible whether it's pseudepigraphal or apocryphal, the Didache exhorts Christians to be givers rather than takers. That's interesting. The word tithing doesn't appear to be in view. Instead, give from the heart. Justin Martyr, this is about 150 AD, provided an early detailed account of church services. Christians met on Sundays, read the writings of the apostles and the prophets, and after an exhortation to do good and pray, the love feast took place. They took the offering at the end of the service, and those who were wealthy were free to give as they see fit. It was an emphasis on personal responsibility in giving that was mainly dependent on how much money that you had, and tithing was never encouraged, and there's a reason for that. It's an Old Testament principle for those people in that time, in those places, in that particular place. God doesn't want a percentage. God wants us to give from the heart. And it appears, at least from this amount of research, that's always been the way the church has looked at it. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. NFL Hall of Famer and former head football coach Tony Dungy is criticizing the NFL, calling the league hypocritical for promoting and profiting from gambling while telling its players not to participate. The former Super Bowl winning coach commented that gambling has ruined a countless number of lives and the NFL should not be involved at all as they're only helping to lead people to gambling addiction. They probably feel like they have to do everything they can to increase annual revenue. I mean, last year it was only $10 billion for a league that paid their commissioner nearly $65 million in salary. Trust me, the NFL is not concerned with the gambling addiction of people. They're counting on it. South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster announced this week that he has motioned to have the entire Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals review a federal court injunction on the South Carolina Fetal Heartbeat Act. McMaster signed the bill into law last February to protect the unborn, and he says that he will take the case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court if he has to. Amen, because there certainly isn't any more precious or fragile life to fight for than the life of the unborn baby who is unable to speak for himself. Well, this is crazy and really overstepping by one California high school that has started what they term as a transition closet for students hiding their gender identity from their parents and want to change into new clothing at school. The school is even providing the clothing. You know, for some, parents have no rights to raise their own children anymore. Well, I guess they do as long as they can keep up with the ever-changing progressive way of doing it. Otherwise, the world owns them. Sad and crazy times we're living in. 
Speaking of crazy, President Biden's new advisor of all things sciencey and stuff, Francis Collins, the former head of the NIH, finds himself in a pretty awkward situation at the moment. Apparently, the Daily Wire obtained a leaked audio recording of Collins discussing federal vaccine mandates back in October. Collins is heard emphasizing that the threat of job loss should be used to pressure citizens into taking the jab. The comments were made in an event hosted by Russell Moore. That sheds a little bit of light on it. But, you know, government officials not just tipping a hat to, but actually detailing how to execute intimidation tactics to motivate the resistant, that just verifies what most of us already knew. Hardline Muslims recently beat an open-air evangelist to death and burned his body in eastern Uganda. John Akiro was accused by the mob of blaspheming Allah and misinterpreting the Quran. Iron bars, stones, and sticks were all used to beat Akiro to death in what was just the latest instance in the persecution of Christians in Uganda. Please, as we tell you frequently here at Wretched, please make sure that you are praying fervently for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Revelation Is the Bible really God's Word, or is it just a collection of human ideas? Here are a few words the Bible uses to describe itself. Perfect, God-breathed, authoritative, without error, the Word of the living God. The Bible is God's inspired and trustworthy word to humanity, through which he makes himself known and continues to draw us to himself. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Prepare to be blinded with science. This is Wretched Radio, not usually a pool that I care to go diving into because science ain't exactly my area of expertise. Even so... Not to be confused with the great hymn, In So Lord Jesus, Quickly Come. You remember that one, don't you? Paul Montz, I believe, is the fellow who wrote that. And it's just glorious. Was doing some studying on worship music. That's right. We just went from science to music. Was researching some music, church history. What type of music was played in what era? Because we're preparing for Wretched Worldview 2. And as long as I'm distracted, when I was preparing for Wretched Worldview 2, not only was I studying music, but studying the subject of tithing, I had to assemble the Bible verses from the Old Testament that describe all of the tithes. I got to tell you something. The IRS is more biblical than I ever thought it was because these rules are quite complex in the Old Testament. We don't just see a single verse that goes, okay, everybody give 10% to God. Instead, you see not only three different tithes, which weren't usually paid annually. They were paid based on crops and storing things up in a warehouse or a barn. And so the the tithing system had multiple tithes and it was rather complicated and it had a lot to do with what was grown in the ground or raised in the barn. Why don't we follow those rules? For those people who say, we have to tithe 10%, and there are a lot of churches that do this, and there are a lot that tell you, if you don't do it, well, then you are not going to be blessed by God. I think I was just, what was, oh, I know, it was, um, uh, what's the name of that prosperity fellow who flies under the radar in Texas? There's a lot of them. Give us 10%, and if after a year you don't see the st- 
storehouse of blessings overflowing will give you your money back. Isn't that interesting? The tithe also happens to have to go to that particular church. If we go back and read the tithing laws, I encourage you to do it. Just look up the word tithe or tithing and go back to the Old Testament and just see if you can easily read it and go, well, that's a piece of cake. Why is it that we don't follow all of those other precepts regarding Old Testament tithing? Why do we just grab onto, it's got to be 10%. Be freed from that. And you might even want to be convicted by that. Tithing, not only do I not think it is a New Testament practice, we never see it endorsed or promoted, ever. I don't even know that the word tithe appears in the New Testament, honestly. If it does, it's maybe in the book of Hebrews. Instead, we are told 2 Corinthians 9, I think about verse 7 and 8. Give from the heart. God loves a cheerful giver. Meet, assemble every week, and bring something to give to the body, to give to the Lord. That is the New Testament principle. And these churches that try to tell you if you don't give 10%, they're just, I just don't think that they're being biblical. And I don't think they're being helpful because there are people who can't pay 10%. It's too much. There are also people who go, I'm still going to heaven and it's only 10% because they could give more. There's something freeing and liberating about not being under the law, isn't there? That you don't have to give 10. It's good for people who can't afford it, and it is good for people who can't afford more. It turns our act of worship not into a mere obedience of a law that I don't believe applies to us in the New Testament church, but this is a joyous act of giving now. Come on, how many jokes have we heard about passing the plate? Passing the plate. Oh, great. They're going to pass the plate. We used to do that. You might have to Google it. <laughs> Anything pre-COVID, you'll be able to see. We used to take time during the service and say, this is an act of worship. I wonder if getting away from the tithe principle would encourage more joyful. I have thought this through. I have prayed about this. Before I wrote this check, we talked about our budget. We decided to cut something out. Here, Lord, use this for your glory. And then it's gone. And you can't take it back, even if the church doesn't use it exactly the way that you'd like them to, because you didn't give it to the church, you gave it to the Lord. Maybe just maybe getting away from the idea that 10% is what is demanded to a New Testament principle, which seems to be affirmed pretty consistently throughout the New Testament church era. We don't give a percentage, we give from the heart. But enough of that digression, let's return to our other digression. It was Martin Luther who, in his classic, colorful form and style, talked about worship being brought back to the church because it was chanted by the monks, but there was no congregational singing. It was Martin Luther that you can thank for congregational singing. Well, some congregational singing, (laughs) if you know what I mean, with some of the contemporary music that we have to listen to these days. Singing is the highest form of communication that a human being can participate in because we're the only ones who can communicate clearly. We're the only ones who have music. You do not see antelope 
playing a 12-string guitar or better yet, a pipe organ. Only human beings. Furthermore, we're the ones who know God and can actually articulate thoughts about God and sing his thoughts back to him. Whoa. That's what we're doing in church. Shouldn't the goal, therefore, be to do our best to present the highest, loftiest, most otherly music that we can create? I realize there is liberty when it comes to music. I get it. I'd love to make a law that it should just be the pipe organ. I would personally prefer that. That way, if I go to your church, I'm happy. And that's really all that matters when it comes to going to church, isn't it? That we're happy. We should be producing music that is the best that we can, the highest that we can, and the most otherly. I don't know if my grammar is correct on that. Why? Because of what we are doing. This type of music, for me, this, this, is, this is as fine as it gets. Let's be blinded with science. We made it back. We went on a digression journey, and we made it right back to the starting line. In leaked audio, former NIH director, new Biden science advisor, laughs over threatening unemployment to force vaccines, blames Trump for COVID deaths. I was intrigued by this article, not because of the COVID controversy, but because this fellow that is in view here, is one who was formerly embraced by evangelicals. Do you remember when Francis Collins, Mr. DNA, confessed publicly that he's a Christian? That was another one of those evangelical moments where we felt affirmed, wasn't it? Oh, good. Somebody smart is a Christian. And he was embraced and touted. And it turns out he's a pretty uh, non-traditional fellow. He's a bioethicist to boot, or claims to be, I believe, but he also works very tirelessly to undermine Genesis, the idea that God created the world in six 24-hour days. And now he is making the news because he was in a little symposium at the University of Chicago hosted by, well, this is intriguing, Russell Moore. That's right. You've been wondering what happened to Mr. SBC, Russell Moore. He's now at Christianity Today. When one of the students asked Collins about the NIH funding experiments, such as the University of Pittsburgh studies that involved harvesting body parts from full-term babies and grafting infant scalps onto lab rats, Collins didn't deny knowing about or greenlighting such projects. He also did not say that the, he opposes abortion. Instead, he said he's, quote, troubled by abortion. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that might just be the bare minimum entry point in understanding what people do to their babies. It's troubling, Jimmy. You know, these these children that get molested, that's kind of troubling to me. Yeah, yeah. Really troubling. That rape thing. Hmm. That's that's troubling. I don't want to say disturbing. I just we won't go that far it, yet. It bothers me. I'll, yeah. I'll be that bold. Said he's troubled by abortion and made a case for the morality and efficacy of research based on aborted tissue. After all, he said, these babies, they're being aborted anyway. Why not just use them? 
Russell Moore's response. Would you like to know what that is? Because that might be the most interesting aspect of this particular article. Russell Moore, who is an ethicist for this was for the Southern Baptist Convention. I wonder if he's still a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's over at Christianity Today. I haven't read anything by him. He hasn't made the news these days for writing anything that has caused a stir. But everybody's wondering what direction is he going? Well, when you hear that's right, prepare for a radio tease. When you hear his response, you're going to be blank. I don't want to tip my hand. This is Wretched Radio. Despite what all of the headlines say, there is some very good news happening around the globe. Jesus is still fulfilling his promise to build his church. Nothing is going to stop it. And right now in Eastern Europe, he is doing just that through the Tomorrow Clubs kids clubs all throughout very poor Eastern European countries. And thanks to you, wretched person, more and more clubs are being sponsored, more and more kids are being saved, and more and more churches are being strengthened. Paul Marty from The Tomorrow Clubs. Every time we visit a Tomorrow Club and talk to kids and leaders, we are blown away by the gospel's power to change lives. And the wretched audience has been such a big part of making that possible. Would you please consider sponsoring your very own Tomorrow Club, $30 a month? 30 Little Disciples, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. How would you like to be considered the second smartest person on the planet behind this guy? It was, a, it was, a, it was, it was. Okay, maybe that was a bad example. But what I'm trying to say is becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner is one of the wisest decisions you'll ever make. Gospel Partners Media is a 501c3 nonprofit, meaning all financial gifts are tax deductible. But other than that, why should you consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner? Simple, because it's your gifts that help us create compelling gospel-centered content that reach millions of people all over the world. And we're members in good standing with the ECFA, the financial accountability folks who audit our books yearly to keep us transparent and accountable to our gospel partners. And 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. So, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us at Gospel Partners Media? Just visit wretched.org slash donate to get complete details. We think it's one of the wisest investments you can make. Wretched.org slash donate. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Attributes of God Can God make a rock so big he cannot lift it? God is all-powerful. 
He created the universe and everything in it, and nothing can thwart his will. So the question of the rock is nonsensical. It does not expose a problem with God, but with the thinking of the one asking the question, and they will one day have to answer to the omnipotent God. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Go ahead, blind me with science, but please keep your ethics out of it. This is Wretched Radio, University of Chicago. Last October, breaking news today, a symposium hosted by Russell D. Moore, formerly of the SBC, now with Christianity Today. The guest, Mr. NIH, Biden advisor, Mr. DNA, Francis Collins. You remember the hullabaloo that happened and we celebrated. A really smart guy is now a Christian. And so he was welcomed as a, quote, evangelical, because that's what he calls himself. And yet, if you've been following his trajectory, you know, wow, he says lots of wonky things, especially as a fellow, I believe he's a fellow at BioLogos, which is basically an anti-creation organization. At this symposium, Francis Collins also revealed um, pro-life not even remotely close to that, not based on what he said. This is quite troubling to me. After all, said Francis Collins, pregnancy termination is at the present time legal in the United States. It's legal. So why not just go ahead and use those baby body parts? After all, it's not like we're breaking the law or anything. This is, again, a scientist who is making ethical claims that aren't scientific, incidentally. Talk about a science denier. It is so clear that what is inside of a woman's womb is a whole innocent human being. And yet, Francis Collins seems to be suggesting, no, suggesting, stating he's okay with using baby body parts. Whether you're in support of it or not, he said, it's happened. The material from these elective abortions is discarded. I see. Not baby body parts. The material. Oh, is that what we're dealing with? There are aspects of fetal tissue that can be extremely valuable in understanding how life works, how development happens, and how to treat certain diseases. That, that's, that's the flag that gets flown. We can do this and justify it because it's going to have a good outcome. That's utilitarianism. That's pragmatism. That is not biblical. We don't justify evil because there will be a good outcome. He continued that the research derived from fetal tissues can be ethical. Quote, fetal tissue is being discarded in large quantities every day. Human beings put into a dumpster every day. If there were a circumstance where, with consent of the mother, having been obtained after the abortion, not in any way as an inspiration to carry it forward, the abortion could ultimately help somebody, that is a very powerful emotional argument that needs to be rejected. Because if we can justify doing that to a baby in the womb, we can justify to doing that to a one-month-old, which, by the way, you'll hear about in just a moment because there's a new effort <laughs> to do just that. Peter Sanger has some company, courtesy of some bioethicists who think that we could potentially, if, you know, baby survives and 
Mom decides I don't want it. We can just let it lay and languish and perish. Why not? There could be a good outcome from it. The mom will be happier, apparently. We can't use a potentially good outcome or a supposedly good outcome to justify evil deeds. This is, to, this is for Francis Collins to simply miss the point of answering the fundamental question when it comes to life. What is it? What is it? Is it merely fetal tissue or is it material or is it a human being's limb we're talking about? Francis Collins. Which of those two choices is more ethical? Discard all the tissue or use a small part. Why not use all of it? Why not, why not use all of it at that point? Can you, in fact, in some circumstances, even with actions you consider immoral, derive something from it that might actually be moral and beneficial? Yeah, you can. Paging Machiavelli, that is exactly what the Bible forbids. You don't get to do bad things to achieve a good outcome. But he's try- at least he- you got to give props. He's not trying to skirt the argument because historically, we all agreed, yeah, you can't do it. Let's, let's use a different sin, shall we? A fellow could say there are good things that come from sex trafficking. There are. Some marriages have been saved because of it. You'd go, what? It, I, what? Yeah, that's right. Now, this, this fellow, he was uh, thinking about divorce. And we rented a human being to him. And he decided that he liked his wife better after all. So sex trafficking, it helps marriage. It lowers the divorce rate. What are you talking about? At least Francis Collins is above board about it. Didn't used to be that way with most most folks because they realized um, that could be a problem. Now, here was the interesting part of the article to me. This is the story that we will continue to watch unfold, and that is the trajectory of Russell D. Moore, who was, uh, what is the name of that division of the SBC, the Ethics and... ECLA. EC, what is or it called? ECLA. The even No. Yeah, the Ethics Committee. Yeah, that's it. Liberty, the Associ- I don't know what it's called, but it was. it's basically about... <laughs> A pack is what it is. And Russell Moore, to his credit, very staunch pro-life guy. This was his response. Moore gave no indication that he was not aware of Collins' background and views that diverge sharply from those of most pro-life activists and the mainstream evangelical Christians who make up Moore's primary following. Instead, Russell D. Moore told the student, I don't have to agree with every Christian on everything in order to see the fruit of the spirit in that person. Nonetheless, I can respect him as a Christian. Really? Really? Would you respect a Christian who promoted rape? After all, it does help some relationship. There was a, there was a guy, he, he raped this girl. They're always fighting and arguing. Well, after raping her, he felt really terrible about doing it because he felt like he was being too patriarchal. So they they ended up getting along together and got married, and now they have two kids. So you see, rape, it's actually good. And I'm not going. I can see the fruit of the Spirit in the Christian who promotes rape. I can, I can see that. To jolly old England we go. Oh, Australian, rather. An Australian bioethicist 
comes to the defense of infanticide proponents who claim there is no moral difference between late-term fetuses and newborn babies. The fellow claims that the morality of how we treat children should be judged no differently than how we access animal welfare. Thank you, Charles Darwin. You see, we're no different than the animals, and don't we use them for experiments? (laughs) Even cruelly, we're no different. So why can't we? Language, language, language tends to win the argument du jour. Animal welfare researchers, this is what he said, have long recognized that animal ethics detached from our knowledge of biological science is at best ill-informed and at worst harmful. Cases involving humans should not be treated any differently. Um, Yeah, actually, I think they should because we're not animals. Quote, If the biological sciences reveal there is no morally salient difference between a newborn and a fetus, that is, they are almost at the same developmental stage, one must abolish the intuitive compelling idea that birth matters morally. It doesn't, said the bioethicist. (laughs) That, uh, that, That would be infanticide that is being described there. How do they get away with it? Words. Back to the article from National Review, uh, but this is precisely what moves religious groups, such as those in Poland, to frighteningly go ahead and attempt to outlaw abortions. <laughs> Frightening that, can you imagine? They're so on the wrong side of history. The biological facts about the physiology of the fetus are pushed aside in favor of an intuition about the wrongness of moral wrongness of abortion. Oh, the intuition. Their arguments fail to demarcate a morally salient difference shortly before and shortly after birth. (laughs) Well, that's why those who are pro-life are very careful to applaud. Now, we, we love incremental legislation that saves lives. But at the same time, we have to say, but that ain't we, we don't endorse what what this allows still. Heartbeat laws, that is not what gives a human being value. They are valued because of what they are, not what they can do. This means that we can basically kill the lives of babies. Incidentally, 46 Senate Democrats just voted to legally require the availability of, of abortion to the moment of birth. 46, 46 senators, United States of America. Raphael Warnock, I think he's one of your favorites, isn't he, Jimmy? Absolutely. Calls himself a pro-life pastor. See what he did there? You know, there's that other senator. Oh, what is the name of that pro-rape pastor? Um, No, 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 no. Sorry, my bad. The the sex trafficking pastor. We can't lose sight of the argument. The fundamental question always, always, always when it comes to abortion and bioethics What is it? And until tomorrow, go serve your king.